name's Eileen Townsend, and I'm the editor of the Northern Logger and Timber Processor, a trade magazine for the forest products industry that's based out of the Adirondack Mountains in New York State. Hey, listeners. You are listening to the Northern Logger Podcast, a monthly dive into the stories and issues that make up the forest products industry. I'm your editor, Eileen Townsend. So, larch. Larch is an unfamiliar tree species to many Americans. People who know about larch are more likely to know it by the name of tamarack. You've probably seen it. It's the only conifer that turns a splendid color of orange gold in the fall, after which it loses its needles. Tamarack grows well in the north woods, especially around bogs. You may have come across tamarack while hiking or driving somewhere in northern New York State or Maine, uh, but chances are you're less familiar with tamarack's cousins, European larch and Japanese larch. These trees grow fast, straight, and strong, but no one really thinks about them as a timber species. Larch lacks a lumber grade and exists only in small stands really spread around the north woods. It has a lot of virtues, but it's largely overlooked. Some in the industry are hoping to change that mindset. In recent years, a loose collective of foresters, sawmill owners, and researchers have been preaching the gospel of larch, particularly hybrid larch, which is a vigorous combination of exotic larch species. Leading that charge is Dave Moss, a forester who's based in Maine. We called up Dave and spoke with him about the big question he's been working on. Could larch be the next big thing for American timber? Uh, my name is David Moss. I'm a retired forester. I work primarily for the uh, forest industry throughout my career, starting with uh, Scott Paper Company as a significant portion of that time as a research forester. Went on to land management activities, and then ended my career doing forest certification. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about what a research forester for a paper company would do? Yes, we were trying to collectively as a team, and I was the, the one who sort of did the nuts and bolts, but collectively as a team, we were trying to resolve a forest management issue with significant insect infestation. Uh, this was the spruce budworm at the 1980s. We saw this as a very significant threat to our being able to provide wood to the mills that we were supplying at the time. We were trying to develop management strategies to uh, do that, and I was conducting the research, figuring out how, you know, what which of these strategies might work best. And so that was when you first started looking at larch, larch trials. That's correct. That's correct. So could you tell me a little bit about the kind of larch you were working with, uh, the hybrid larch? Yes, we, we were looking at, well, both European and Japanese larch, and then the um, combination of two, which would be the hybrid larch. We knew we had examples of uh, European larch uh, 
on our ownership as well as on uh, several other industrial ownerships. And uh, we could see that they, that alone was doing, uh, uh, was performing very well. It had been, um, some of the trials had been uh, neglected just because they were so so small in, in size. Uh, and that is, a, you know, a, a few acres here and a few acres there kind of thing. But we could see that the, um, that the trees that had survived had, were uh, significantly taller than uh, adjacent planted uh, conifers. And uh, so that was, uh, so that, that got us started on, uh, in the process of using exotic larch. And I turned, I used the term, the sort of the generic exotic larch to mean Japanese large European larch and the hybrid. So can you tell me a little bit more about larch in general as a species? I mean, I think that uh, a lot of people would be familiar with tamarack, uh, the native North American variety, but many people might not know about uh, exotic larch. Yes. The, the tamarack is very, or the, the exotic larches are very similar to the tamarack in terms of shape and color. They, um, they, it's deciduous softwood. In other words, it loses its needles. Um, it turns this bright golden yellow. Uh, uh, the needles turn this bright golden yellow uh, in the fall, and, and can look very uh, can look very pretty. The uh, the exotic larches uh, on on uh, good soils grow uh, exceptionally well. Uh, 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 better than um, all of the native softwoods, and uh, certainly um, significantly better than the uh, than the the native tamarack. The tamar- uh, native tamarack is usually relegated in natural st- in natural areas to edges of bogs and uh, uh, wet uh, wet areas. Um, and so its growth is uh, restricted, and 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 so there's a kind of a, a stigma associated with the tamarack that that says, okay, well that's just a that's just a s- slow grower, therefore all all larches are going to be slow growing. But that's not the case at all uh, with the the t- uh, with the all of the exotic larches. They grow uh, uh, exceptionally fast. And then, uh, what other qualities do you associate with them? The uh, the wood is very it's very sound and solid. It's a uh, it's a heavy softwood, uh, meaning it's heavier than pine. It's a uh, the the wood fibers are quite long, and so it's suitable for some um, types of pulp production. Uh, water resistant. And in Europe, it's used extensively for outdoor furniture, for uh, siding on homes and houses, uh, for uh, barns. Here in the U.S., uh, I've been told that it's used, for example, for uh, that organic farmers like to use it for greenhouse tables because they don't have uh, it's not treated with any chemicals. And it still um, uh, does quite well uh, in moist uh, moist conditions. So, 
I want to get back a little bit to your timeline with your work with Larch. So you were at Scott Paper Company, and my understanding is that simultaneously there were plenty of people that were doing these exotic Larch trials. And then uh, around the turn of the millennium, there was a big change in land ownership in Maine and across the country, uh, and some of those trials got essentially abandoned. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. The uh, the pulp mills that we were providing uh, wood for uh, started to change from softwood mills that uh, required a great deal of softwood to uh, to mills, uh, and then they started making products that uh, were uh, where hardwoods could be used, and so this this took the pressure off of the uh, off of the softwood resources. And um, there was uh, significant land uh, change, land holding changes. Uh, Scott Paper Company ended up uh, divesting uh, their land. It ended up uh, with uh, uh, Plum Creek Timber. They had a very different uh, uh, management strategy and uh, uh, management focus. And so the uh, and and this was this was similar to many of the other uh, large landholding companies across the U, uh, across the U.S. in that there was um, uh, th- there was the divestment of the land from the uh, the uh, by the by the mills and um, and so there was a change of focus and management to uh, more of an investment uh, strategy rather than uh, the f- the need to uh, uh, provide wood directly to a to uh, to a mill, and as a result of that, um, the need for what we called intensive forest management during the uh, 80s and 90s was um, uh, well that that need diminished, and uh, so the landholders. Companies like uh, Plum Creek and others uh, started using um, um, natural regeneration to uh, uh, and and uh, accepted uh, 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 natural levels of growth uh, as part of their uh, land management strategy. And so, you know, fast forward to more recently in the past five years when you. Uh, in a different part of your career, have become reinterested in in larch and in learning more about the potential of exotic larch as a timber species in the Northeast. Uh, and can you tell me what reinvigorated your interest in that? <laughs> well, I it it had always been in the back of my mind and, uh, because I I knew uh, I knew these trials had uh, uh, we'd established these trials, and I was always curious. Uh, as my career advanced, uh, uh, what the uh, you know what had happened to these trials? Were they uh, uh, were they still growing as 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 rapidly as we had anticipated? Uh, but <laughs> on a very personal note, what really got me intrigued was that uh, shortly after I I retired, my wife and I took a trip to uh, Zermatt. 
we were in Switzerland and Italy. And uh, one one afternoon in uh, Zermatt, I I went for a walk in in the uh, the Swiss, of course, have tremendous hiking trails around. And I went for a walk in the woods and just around the edge of town. And and uh, there was this. It was a beautiful, clear day. The uh, uh, the bright blue sky was uh, shining. It was late in October, and so the sun was low, and it was behind the mountains. And the uh, uh, as I mentioned, the the uh, needles of the lark turned this bright golden uh, gold color. And so there was this slight breeze in the uh, in this large forest, and uh, so the uh these needles were sort of shimmering on the uh in the trees and uh falling gently down through the uh, down through the forest uh it was a beautiful sight and uh reminded me of uh of a snowfall but only in gold and uh you know that that's what kind of uh said well maybe maybe I ought to uh pick that ball up again and and uh uh, look, look more readily at the, uh, at the larch. So at that point, did you reach out to people that you knew that were also familiar with larch trials? And, and, uh, is that when you formed the, uh, larch virtual experiment station? Uh, yes, yes. Essentially, uh, yeah, we, um, uh, I started looking at some of the, some of the trials that we had, um, and I found that they were growing quite well. The uh, 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 I was encouraged by uh, uh, some of the professors at the University of Maine, and uh, we uh, through the uh, Cooperative Forest Research Unit at the University of Maine, there was uh, 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 Dr. Brian Roth had a uh, had. Uh, some student help available, and we were able to get out and measure uh, some of the some of the trials. One was uh, uh, specifically one that uh, Dr. Mike Greenwood had established, uh, looking uh, at the genetics of um, exotic larch. He had done a tremendous number of crosses between a variety of uh, of trees and had uh, established that. We measured that one, and we also were able to measure up a measure a trial that that had been established to compare uh, larches to other softwood species that had been established in 1988. Those trials were far and away exceeded our expectations in terms of growth and quality of the wood, quality of the trees, and uh, and and so that. What instigated uh, my my interest? I then went out to uh, try to find some grant money to uh, provide funding for going out and collecting data. Uh, I did. I was successful in getting uh, a couple of small grants: one from the uh, Society of American Foresters, one from uh, and a matching grant from the U.S. Forest Service. And uh, as a result of that, we've been able to uh, fund. Um, uh, travel to uh, to go and uh, remeasure uh, a number of the operational plantations that uh, were established by 
Scott paper in the 1980s. And, and uh, again, those trials have shown, have demonstrated uh, uh, growth, uh, at, uh, at very significant growth uh, rates. The trees look uh, sound and solid. They're, they're straight. Uh, minimal branching, uh, they, uh, early saw log, uh, early saw log development. And so they, uh, I'm, uh, that's what's, uh, that's what, that's what I'm very excited about. I'm, I'm just trying to make people, landowners, uh, aware of the, of this, uh, potential growth, uh, so that they might utilize this as part of their, uh, scheme, um, land management scheme for their for their forests. Right. So you've got different kinds of landowners. I mean, obviously you have your big industrial guys, but my understanding is that your interest right now is is in uh, speaking with smaller landowners about how they might incorporate larch into a timber management plan. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, there are a couple of strategies. I think for the small, private, non-industrial landowners, a, uh, some options. Uh, the large provide some options in that uh, if there's, uh, say, an old field that's not uh, coming into its own as rapidly as one as as the landowner would prefer, he could plant the large. He she could plant the large, and and within 15 years, which is for the Northeast, pretty phenomenal, um, have a crop that could be thinned. And then at age 30, harvest that crop. As, as the thinning occurs, other hardwood species might, or softwood species might come in and the large would then provide a nurse crop and a, uh, and an early, uh, uh, return that would, uh, provide, Income to um, uh, to the landowners. Uh, now, there's it's not like you can just go out and plant the larch. Uh, there's some there's some management activities. The weeds have to be controlled. But beyond that, these operational trials that were operational plantings that that were established in the 80s and 90s were uh, essentially abandoned after uh, the year 2000. Nothing had been done with them. They weren't they weren't thin, so, and and they're they're demonstrating how how well they do, uh, uh, how well they have been uh, performing. Now, for the large industrial landowner, again, I could see a uh, an opportunity uh, to buy um, heavily cut over land. Um, uh, the vernacular term is carcasses. Lands that have been uh, ravaged by a number of or one or more timber harvesters who have cut the uh, harvest, removed all of the marginable material. Now, on the very on 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 the very best of those sites, the uh, the large again could be planted and would provide a, uh, an early return for that industrial landowner. And then he could. He she could then manage the uh, the rest of the land as as they uh, as they needed to. So you know when I spoke with some of the other people that you'd worked with, they described kind of a chicken and the egg problem with how to get people interested in larch. Do you get the sawmills 
uh, equipped to be able to handle it first, or do you talk to landowners? Can you tell me a little bit about that problem? Well, there there are a couple of stumbling blocks uh, with the with the interest in the larch. There's the larch is is scattered about <laughs> from the Canadian Maritimes all the way to Minnesota, and there's a little bit here and a little bit there. Uh, for example, uh, I estimate that there's about 20,000 acres of large planted in in Maine. Now, 20,000, you know, if you're a small landowner, 20,000 acres sounds like a lot, but Maine has a you know has a forest of 20 million acres. So so this is a you know a one percent in New York. Uh, the state forests alone have 23,000 acres. I, my guess is that there's an equivalent amount of that on, on, on private land in, uh, in New York. Uh, similar, well, in, in, in Pennsylvania, they had a, a large planting program as well. My, my parents, for example, planted 500 Japanese large, uh, which I recently got a chance to visit uh, back in the late 60s. So there's there's just large scattered about. It's not a, it's not a, a resource that's that's readily available everywhere. The other the other stumbling block for this is that there's no grade stamp for the uh, for the for the large, um, which means uh, for commercial uses, uh, say for uh, public docks for. Uh, uh, pilings or for commercial, real, real commercial uses, they require typically they require grade stamps for that essentially certifies the product or certifies that the wood that it's that's going to be of uh, certain quality uh, and um, and and can sustain and meet certain certain product standards. And as a result of that. There's uh, it 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 lacks a specific commercial value. However, this wood can be harvested and and utilized uh, for private resources. It's used, I'm sure, it's used um, uh, for decking for bridges, for bridge timbers, pilings, and and uh, what have you. And it's and it would be sold similar to to hemlock. And at hemlock prices, recently done some economic work on this, and the, it appears to me that uh, for and landowners that uh, even at even at today's prices, these these investments in in tree planting uh, still pay off at a at a reasonable investment uh, return. So, I'm encouraged that that going forward, as people recognize the value of this. Of this wood, it's it's uh, better than pine. It's it's uh, it it could be used used for all kinds of outdoor purposes, for pilings, for uh, light poles, for uh, uh, bridge timbers. They talk about in Europe, for example. They talk about uh, uh, all of the pilings and that are used for the uh, in Venice, our, our uh, European larch, and there's a reason for that because of its of its uh, uh, resistance to uh, decay. So, uh, uh, as it as more and more product gets used, then then the need for the grade stamp could, uh, could be uh, could be done. But that's a that's a big investment. It was uh, the only 
I think last year, uh, Norway spruce was uh, finally included with the spruce fir uh, uh, grade stamp, and and that took a tremendous effort on the part of J.D. Irving and other companies to uh, to uh, get that uh, get that accomplished. Uh, so it's it's a because there's so little of the material and and I mean relatively speaking. And because of uh, because there is so little, it doesn't have a grade stamp. There is no uh, formal construction recognition of this uh, of this product. Well, you know, what else should people know about hybrid larch, and and what else should they uh, associate with the species as we look towards the future? These trees grow uh, uh, very rapidly. I think they provide a can be used at a uh, for in some instances for uh, strategically as part of uh, land management um, uh, forest management activities um, uh, they do provide early economic returns the wood is is uh, is uh, beautiful wood it, it it and and the products made from it can be used in a in a variety uh, a variety of uses. Uh, uh, a couple of things come to mind that I I haven't mentioned. One is that the uh, uh, flooring for the what's now the Weyerhaeuser Bingham uh, office was made from thinnings from uh, European larch of one of their one of their products and uh, and it. There's a consulting firm in um, in Connecticut that the flooring for their office is made from. Uh, I know there's a forester who's told me that uh, he was able to harvest some Japanese larch, and and it tends to run uh, uh, the Japanese larch tends to run a little more uh, reddish in color, and uh, so he ended up paneling his his basement with a larch, uh, and it looks like cherry. He says so. This is a so there's some some very very nice high quality wood that can that can come out of uh, uh, material, um, but for the basic grade material, um, uh, it could be used for bridges, for decking, for uh, siding, uh, fence posts, uh, uh, barn sides, all kinds of uh, all kinds of those kinds of activities uh, products. Uh, so there's there's some Uses out there, it, it it grows well, good economics, and be thinned early, uh, good products. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about hybrid larch and exotic larch. Okay, very good. Hey, guys, uh, this is Eileen with a quick ad. Have you considered placing an ad in the Northern Logger magazine for years, or are you an advertiser already? Well, here's the thing. This podcast has gotten really popular, faster than I even imagined, honestly. After six short months of getting this show off to a fun, fascinating, and a little wobbly start, we have over 2,500 listeners streaming and downloading an episode. And it's still growing. It's a bit mind-boggling. But I think it speaks to our great podcast, the amazing listenership, and how loyal our Forest Products family is. So consider placing an ad for your sawmill, your dealership, or even a PSA for your organization. Um, 
And if you want to talk about the podcast and how we put it together, feel free to call our offices and talk about the ways that you can reach out to your customers.